Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Cover to Cover. My name is Beth and I'm your co-host for today. Hi, my name is Naomi. I'm also a copy editor. What are we going to talk about today, Beth? Well, the weather's been getting quite chilly here in Seoul lately. Um, yeah, actually, I'm pulling out my cardigan these days, as you can see. Did you know that fall here in Korea is popularly known as the reading season? I did not. There's a phrase for that, actually, right? Yeah, I actually just learned this the other day. It's called 사색의 계절, which mm. means it's the season of contemplation or reflection or deep reflection. Right. And what better way to reflect that than by reading a good book, right? So in line with the season, we have each brought a book that has been a bestseller in Korea. My pick for this month is Pek Sehi's I Want to Die, But I Want to Eat Tteokbokki. 죽고 싶지만 떡볶이 먹고 싶어. That was translated by Anton Her. The English translation came out in summer, but um, the original was first published in 2018. That's right. Um, and my pick, actually, is a work that has not yet been translated into English. It's called uh, 불편한 편의점, right here, or Inconvenient Convenience Store by Kim Ho-yeon, which came out in April 2021. That's really interesting. I've heard about that book. Yeah, that's right. It's been really hot um, and all over the blogs and YouTube these days with reviews. But first, let's dive right into your book. Can you introduce it for us, Naomi? Yeah, so before I dive in, I do want to flag a disclaimer. This book does talk about mental health issues, tackling depression and anxiety so if any so please stop here if any of these topics may be potentially triggering to you i want to die but i want to eat tteokbokki is a part memoir part self-help book the author pek sehi received psychiatric treatment for dysthymia or persistent mild depression for 10 years um, so she started writing about these sessions for her essays before writing um, this book and its sequel. So in this book, um, it's a record of the dialogue she has with her psychiatrist in um, her therapy sessions over a 12-week period. And it also includes 17 mini essays, which she calls Reflections on Life Following Therapy. Uh, why did you pick this book in particular? Uh, so I think what stands out for me is that I don't think I've read anything quite like it before. Um, as someone who's gone to therapy myself, mm -hmm. I was also, you know, partly very curious about what other people's therapy sessions looked like. And it is a very fascinating read. So it's essentially a transcript of the con conversations she has with her therapist. And so the dialogue format, like a back and forth dialogue format, makes it really easy to read and follow. And it also has a page or two before and after the transcript. That's the author's um, musings about the topic or a certain theme. Um, so some parts are very helpful and very easy to relate to because it deals with, you know, the most inner and private thoughts that any individual can have, you know, just dealing with life in general. Um, you know, feelings of loneliness, wanting to be loved, feel, uh, you know, the fear of being judged. Um, and you'll read how her psychiatrist helps her work through those feelings and thoughts and see the author come to realizations that, you know, she might have certain tendencies 
Um, and the psychiatrist also offers perspectives and advice on how she can break those thought patterns or behavioral patterns. For me, I think um, parts of it helped me reflect on my own life and my own thought processes. And especially because mental health isn't a topic that is so openly talked about in Korea or, you know, even Asia, uh, for that matter, I see how it would give comfort to people who are struggling with depression to know that they're not alone or suffering in silence and that there are other people who are, you know, going through similar things. And the more I think about it, the more respect I have for the author who talks about you know, mental health and depression so candidly and, you know, sharing her, and, and she's so brave in sharing her therapy journey. It's really not an easy thing to open up to your friends or to your, you know, to a, to a professional, let alone to the entire world. Yeah, that actually does sound very progressive and even groundbreaking. And it's not the kind of book that I think you could easily find at that time um, in 2018 even. Um, do you think that played a part in why it became such a big bestseller in Korea? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, right after it was published in the original, right after it was published in 2018, immediately you know became a bestseller um, at Kyobo Bookstore, um, and which is ranked according to their offline and online sales. Mm. Actually, according to a Yonhap news article at the time. Um, 80% of the purchases were by women. And for the whole year of 2018, it ranked number seven on Kyobo Bookstore's Korean bestseller list. Wow. And just to give you some context, Kim Ji-young, born 1982 by Cho Nam-ju, was number four that year. And it's also one of the books BTS RM has read. So it is just, it is a very, very popular book. Um and I think one of the reasons why it's so popular is because, you know, discussions about mental health have gener- generally considered, are generally considered taboo in Korean society. And even seeking treatment um, for mental health conditions is, is largely frowned upon here. And I think a lot of surveys say that people, especially in the older generations, see you know, depression and dealing with mental health as a sign of weakness. Um, And this is despite data showing that there are a significant number of people in Korea who are dealing um, with depression. So according to data compiled by the National Health Insurance Service, some 681,000 patients were treated for depression in 2017, and of them, 66% were female. And the number of South Koreans treated for depression in 2017 rose 15.8% from 2012. And the suicide rate also remains the highest among OECD countries um, as of 2020. And Korea has had the highest suicide rate in the OECD in the OECD every year since 2003, except for 2016 and 2017 when Lithuania topped the list. So for a book, like this to lay bare the inner workings um, and honest feelings of a young working professional, I think was very rare at the time. So I think it became a source of comfort to people to read about it and realize, oh, there's actually other people like me and I'm not alone. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think in the last two years uh, through the COVID pandemic, we've seen worldwide that mental health has become an issue, um, public health issue, not just in Korea, but in many countries um, beyond Asia. And actually, my just a little personal side note, my uh, high school friend Lindsay even wrote a memoir about mental health in her family, which um, I highly recommend. It's called The Woo Woo. <laughs> and um, I believe I lent you a copy of it as well. And yeah, it's talking about basically um, her Chinese-Canadian experience of um, mental health and mental illness going unacknowledged and how that plays out in her life. Um, and as I said, it's a memoir. And um, this is a friend who grew up in Vancouver, Canada, like me. And so it says something about how these conversations and stigmas around mental health can really um, follow you anywhere beyond um, you know, Korean or Asian context. Um, that being said, um, do you think the book has helped remove some of the stigma surrounding mental health or brought about any changes here in Korea? I would like to say that the book is probably one of the first of its kind at the time. Um, and it was actually so popular, the author decided to write a second book um, that was published the next year. And it follows another 16 weeks of therapy sessions. And it also got made into a play. So you can see how it really took off. And um, people say the books have really helped spur more realistic portrayals of how people are dealing with depression or other mental health problems um, in mainstream media. And just to give some examples of how mental health is being portrayed in you know, TV dramas, Korean series, one example is TVN's Our Blues um, that aired this year. One of the characters is a divorced mother who's um, struggling with depression and she ends up losing custody of her son mm. um, and another one a couple years before that also from TVN it's it's okay to not be okay um, which was also very popular and actually all three main characters deal with emotional trauma or some mental um, disorder so I, I think you know addressing these mental health issues in a more pro high profile and open manner is, I think, what's helping more people talk about it. And to help people that maybe they didn't think about seeking treatment before, um, help them actually think, oh, maybe I do want to go to counseling. Maybe I do want to work on myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important. And I think that's just the other day we were talking about how our company, Herald Corporation, offers six free counseling sessions for employees, right? And so showing that um, there's even now um, institutional support at many workplaces for these kind of things. And um, it's great to see that the book has had such an impact, as you've described. What can you tell us about the author herself, Peck Sehee, and what motivated her to write this book? So Peck Sehee was born in 1990, and she studied creative writing at university, and she worked as a um, social media editor at a publishing house for five years. And I Want to Die But I Want to Eat Tteokbokki um, was her first book. In a talk she gave in 2021, Pexi said the book is not really about um, conquering or overcoming depression. Um, she says she still deals with it day in, day out. Some days are better than others. Um, but ultimately, the author says it's a long journey of working with 
these emotions and embracing the dark times as well as the good. Um, so before this book was published, Pekzehi said most of the books in this genre were actually written by psychiatrists from their point of view. Mm. But this book, it was written by just an ordinary person, a, you know, somebody who is receiving or who is seeking treatment. So I think this book was really one of the first ones to break that mold. In that same interview, Pekzehi said if there was one takeaway from the book, um, she says she hopes that people won't try to belittle their own feelings of depression and think, oh, everybody goes through their own struggles. Life is supposed to be hard. And she hopes people who read this book f- feel they're not alone. And, you know, they too can talk about their feelings honestly and openly or write about it. Um, and also at the same time, just learn to slowly fill your own life with things that give you joy and to find their own way of tackling their feelings and depression. Mm, interesting. And I'm really curious about why the author named this book, I Want to Die, But I Want to Eat Dakloki. Can you tell us more about that? I was also really drawn by the title at first. Um, it's a great title. But I have to warn you, it doesn't actually really talk about dakloki. <laughs> um, in an interview, she said that she was in a really sort of bad mental state before she went to the hospital to seek treatment, and she had thoughts about ending her own life. Um, but despite going through such a hard time, she still was hungry and she still really had a craving for tteokbokki. And she hated herself for, um, you know, she hated herself and she felt so much disgust that the tteokbokki she ate at that time tasted so good. So she really struggled with the thought that, wasn't I just thinking of committing suicide just a few minutes ago? How can I, how can tteokbokki taste this good? So she had really had trouble accepting that she could feel such contradictory feelings. But looking back on that time, she realized that it was natural for you to want to cry one moment and laugh in another, and that it is totally normal for those feelings to coexist. So when she was finally able to acknowledge that and come to peace with her decision and those feelings, she realized that, you know, it's a part of being human. And that's why she decided on the title. Hmm. And what aspects, I'm curious to know, of this book did you connect to the most personally? Um, So each chapter deals with an episode the author goes through or uh, is based loosely around a theme. And it could be fears about her you know, not wanting to burden her colleagues with, you know, feeling sad on the day or she goes to a movie club and she's worried that people will judge her if she has nothing to say or think that she's, you know, stupid um, and look down on her. So out of all these chapters and episode, I think there's really one line that um, stayed with me the most and I felt like gave me a lot of comfort. It's when the psychiatrist says, When you're having a hard time, it's natural to feel like you're having the hardest time in the world, and it's not selfish to feel that way. Mm. So to me, it was a reminder that you have to be kind to yourself and that people are complicated, and you have to give yourself permission to feel the way you feel and not sweep those feelings under the rug because you're feeling shameful or you feel like there are other people who are worse off than you. Yeah, and that's actually a really powerful message. 
And I think one that can go way beyond just culture and um, it can be a message for anybody, no matter where you're from. Um, who would you recommend this book to? So I think this book provides a lot of food for thought and I can't speak for people who deal with depression, um, but in some of the reviews I've read, they have said that they feel really seen when reading this book and they feel like their feelings are validated um, and they feel comfort that other people are going through the same thing and it's not just them who are suffering in silence. For others, I think this is a book that will really help you empathize with people who are going through a tough time or they're dealing with depression and it will help you understand what's really going on underneath the surface and even though they may look like they're okay on the outside. Um, one thing I would say though is that um, when reading this book, I did feel strange sometimes because um, you're essentially reading a very detailed account of somebody's actual therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. And to me, getting counseling is a very private thing. It's, you know, you're in a private space where you can really, it, private and safe space where you can really talk openly and honestly to your counselor. So just imagining that somebody is sitting there listening to you um, can feel like, oh, I don't really think I should be here. Um, like overly voyeuristic. That's how it felt a little bit. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, so, I mean, it is fascinating that you get to see what it's like. But it's also like I can't help but feel that I should really take a step back and that I should leave them space mm. to, yeah. Um, also, I didn't read this book in one sitting. Um, and I actually think it might be one of those books that you would want to reach for sometimes when you're feeling down. Um, or I also think it could be something that you can reread again and that when that and that the text will speak to you in a different way, depending on the different mental headspace you're in. So but to sum it up, I think this book is a chronicle of the author's journey of getting to know herself her commitment to continue working on herself and to accept herself as who she is and that recognizing sometimes even when you feel so devastated that you feel like dying, you also do at the same time want to eat tteokbokki and that's part of what it means to be human. Beth, I believe that the book you want to talk about today also sheds light on the human condition. That's right. We're getting really deep in today's episode. Um, the book I'd like to present today is um, a little bit of a lighter take on uh, what it means to be human, um, but no less deeper. <laughs> it's called, as I mentioned before, Inconvenient Convenience Store, Pulpenan Penijam by Kim Hoyeon. As I mentioned, it came out in April 2021. And this was the best-selling book in the first half of the year. And I mean number one <laughs> for all major online and offline stores here in Korea, including Kyobo, Yangpumungo, Yes24. It sold over 700,000 copies as of August. Now the sequel, Inconvenient Convenience Store 2, which came out in August of this year, was an immediate bestseller. And um, at major bookstores, it had an advanced print of 100,000 copies which is quite extraordinary for a book, um, especially a novel, I would say. Wow, that sounds like a major achievement. 
Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about the premise without too many spoilers? Yes, uh, this is an eight chapter book in a serial no- novel format with each chapter focusing on a different character who takes over the first person narration. So the book begins with two main characters, 70 something year old uh, Mrs. Yum, who um, meets middle aged homeless man named Toko um, at Seoul Station. Um, she has had, Mrs. Yum has had her purse stolen from her. Um, right before she gets on a train to Busan from Seoul. And Toko happens to find it and call her because all of her precious things are in this pouch, her wallet, her bank books, her citizenship card, everything. So she's incredibly relieved and thankful because it's quite rare that, you know, um, a homeless person would find your things and, and return them to you. And so Mrs. Yum, who runs a convenience store near the station, ends up offering Toko the overnight shift at her store. Um, and ultimately, so she becomes his employer. And the book then unfolds as Toko encounters various people um, who are connected to the convenience store or to Mrs. Yum. And so what was it that made you choose this book? Well, first of all, for anyone who's been to Korea, and especially Seoul or really any big city, you'll know that convenience stores are like this ubiquitous fixture in almost every neighborhood. Even the most rural areas in Korea have a convenience store, at least one. And um, I looked it up a little bit about convenience stores. According to figures from 2020, there are over 40,000 convenience stores in Korea with over 190,000 employees. Um, And so I think... Really, given the sheer number and ubiquity of these places, um, I think sometimes you can discover the most extraordinary stories from examining ordinary settings or situations really closely. Um, So that was the first appeal of this book. And also, obviously, the runaway success, um, being number one on the bestseller list for over a year is an incredible feat and made me incredibly curious, too, as in, you know, what was all the hype about? Yeah. And um, finally, just on a personal note on the actual substantive, you know, um, content of the book, what I found was that it was this fascinating blend of fairy tale and hyperrealism in that it's a fairy tale that the reader must in which the reader must suspend his or her disbelief in a lot of the plot twists, such as um, a homeless man with alcohol induced amnesia getting offered a job at a convenience store by this kind hearted old woman who runs a store simply for her employee's sake. And um, there's actually a lot of other fairy tale like twists in the other chapters, but they're kind of counterbalanced with this incredibly realistic dialogue and descriptions of the characters who make incredibly biting and cynical and accurate observations about Korean society. Um, and it really, I think, captures really salient issues, salient issues in Korean society now, such as culture and communication gaps between generations, which we can see between older and younger characters, such as Mrs. Yum and her daughter. It also, I think it also struck at the growing lack of empathy and communication in Korean society as they are at the root of many of the characters' problems. So why do you think that this book was so popular, especially this past year since it was published? Well, first of all, the book um, actually takes place in the real world, um, in real time, as the pandemic begins to unfurl. 
um, it references real-life events um, in the news, such as the February 2020 COVID outbreak among occult churches members in Daegu, which I think anyone in Korea <laughs> can remember, um, and the gradual wearing of masks and use of hand sanitizers that began to become basically a part of our daily lives. Um, it also describes real-life neighborhoods and locales in Seoul, um, heightening a sense of familiarity for uh, many readers. And I think that the hyper-real setting and characters, um, in conjunction with the kind of fairy tale elements that I mentioned before, had something to do with the appeal to a lot of people. Um, it was like a nice balance. And um, many blog reviews um, in Korean that I've read um, mentioned how easy it was to get totally immersed in these characters and invested in them because they have such intense and yet really relatable situations. What would you say is the main message or theme, though? Ultimately, this is a book about how connection and communication can determine one's own happiness. In an interview, um, the author has said, quote, people are interconnected. I think that if solid individuals help each other, we can live together in an uncomfortable world. Inconvenient convenience store is a human drama that tells these stories. So um, I think this is really what resonated so deeply with readers here. It's really a human story. And um, I think it also has something to do with the fact that this book came out in the midst of the pandemic, which has so profoundly transformed society over the past two years into a far more precarious space, you know, both socially and economically. That's interesting. Do you think the author thought that it was going to be a bestseller? Not at all. I mean, in an interview from May, um, the author, Kim, Kim Ho-yeon, was asked um, why he thought his work was so loved by so many people in Korea. And he said, um, I thought that the world had just become more harsh. And so it was time for warm comfort. And um, he said that it's true that I planned and wrote this book with those things in mind. Um, Quote, however, I had no idea that it would be such a beloved work, and I am still puzzled. So, um, and this is something that I noticed he's repeated in many other interviews. He's, um, say, he said that he really did not expect, you know, the runaway, like, um, rags to riches success of his work. Can you tell us more about the author and how he came to write this book? Yes, um, and I understand that this uh, might be an author who's not at all familiar with a lot of readers because none of his works have actually been translated into English up to now. Um, Kim Ho-yeon was born in Seoul in 1974. He graduated from Korea University College of Humanities, majoring in Korean language and literature. He worked initially as a screenplay writer for um, some major production houses and directors, for about 14 years before he struck out on his own as a novelist. Um, for Korean readers, he debuted with um, Mangwondong Brothers in 2013, which was a, a winner of the Sege or World Literature Prize. And he has written a total of five novels and a collection of essays over the past nine years, including the books that we've talked about, talked about today. Um, Inconvenience Convenience Store, though, is his first bestseller. According to an interview uh, with YTN Radio earlier this year, Kim has said that he was inspired by a friend who began his own convenience store 
and it happened quite spontaneously as he was joking around with his friend who is not necessarily a very customer friendly person about how he runs an inconvenient convenience store. And this catchy phrase was actually inspiration for the title of the book and um, you know, became what it is. So zooming out a bit from the book, can you tell us a little bit about the history of convenience stores in Korea and the, and the role that they play in Korean culture? Yeah, I, I found this really fascinating when I was looking into this. Actually, convenience stores only began appearing in Korea in the 1980s. Apparently, uh, Latte Shopping allegedly opened the first Latte 7 store in Seoul in 1982, and it was the first convenience store in Korea. They eventually replaced the ubiquitous family or individual-owned um, corner stores, or um, in Korean we say kumongake, um, around the country, which had served as local watering holes. Um, these stores were typically small standalone buildings with a sitting area where people could sit for a few minutes to an hour, a few hours, and catch up on neighborhood gossip or just meet to talk. And the owner would sometimes throw in a couple extra pieces of fruit, like apples or oranges, depending on how friendly you were with them. And um, though some corner stores do still exist in rural areas, they're basically, you know, relegated as obscure, you know, novelties because, um, yeah, they're just so rare. And you, they're kind of akin to what, you know, when you find non-ironic VHS or DVD stores. And it seems that in the past two years, especially with the pandemic, that there's been a growing trend of or an increase of unmanned retail stores is not, not only convenience stores, um, you know, it's restaurants, cafes, and even secondhand shops. Yeah, for sure. Um, convenience stores were definitely part of this growing industrialization and modernization of Korea. And we can see that speeding up now um, as a result of the pandemic. And I wonder if one of the reasons um, this book resonated so much with people was because um, we saw the pandemic um, really accelerate these untapped trends and the utilization of AI, making all of us kind of reflect more deeply about what it means to live a meaningful and humane life in a world that is changing so rapidly. Right, but I actually think that convenience stores today still play a major role in acting as local watering holes um, for Koreans uh, in Korean society. I see it in Korean dramas. For example, Squid Game, um, in I think the second episode, you'll see the main character, played by Lee Jung-jae, he's sitting outside the convenience store and he's drinking soju by himself and, you know, ruminating <laughs> in his own emotions. And there he meets the old man or player number one. And stop listening if you haven't watched Squid Game because I'm going to spoil it right now. Um, but player number one is the creator of the game and he sits down with him and they have you know a heart-to-heart -heart talk it's just something that is always seen in korean dramas yeah that's right i think anyone who has seen a drama about kind of daily life in the city can really recall some kind of convenience store scene and um yeah again i think that might be why you know this um this novel has been so popular because convenience stores have such a mainstream, you know, appeal and um, it occupies a very, I think, familiar place in a lot of Korean people's minds. Um, 
I'm curious actually about convenience stores in Hong Kong because I know um, you lived most of your life there and it's um, in some ways quite similar and yet very different in that it's like a very giant Asian metropolis. Um, do you feel that there are any parallels to Korea in terms of the role that convenience stores play in people's lives? I mean, it's similar in a sense that there you can find one on every other corner in Hong Kong. You know, people go there to pick up, you know, whatever they need. So it is, you know, a convenience store. But um, I would say it's different in a sense that because you know, Hong Kong's such a small city and there's no, it, land is so scarce that convenience stores are tiny. There's no space or, you know, often tables or chairs inside the store or outside. So you don't really have that culture where in Korea people could, you know, gather there outside for a drink. Um, in Hong Kong, people would have, people would still go there to get a beer or alcohol or a drink and but they would have to go away and sit somewhere outside on the curb um, so there's not really that you know luxury of space um, that we have that we have in Korea or in other places like in Taiwan or Japan mm-hmm. where you know it's really now really some of them are been being marketed as a space where you can relax and eat a proper meal and charge your phone and do all sorts of things Mm. It, in Hong Kong, it's really sort of get in, get out. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually, while reading this book, I was thinking about Canadian convenience stores. And um, where I'm from, Vancouver, uh, Canada, there are actually mostly places that you drive or take a l- really long walk to because um, there really aren't that many. Um, I mean, we have all the chains. We have 7-Eleven um, and a few others. I can't really think of anything else except 7-Eleven right now, I think because it was the closest to my neighborhood. But um, in the suburbs, um, I think, yeah, they're really not necessarily um, places to just sit and chill and drink with your friends at. Um, the only exception, I think, would be if you're um, a teenager, like maybe a middle school or high school or even elementary school student. I do remember that um, there was a bit of a subculture of kids hanging out at convenience stores, um, just eating junk food and drinking, you know, giant uh, Slurpees. What do you call them? The big gulp. <laughs> Were you one of those kids? No, I was not. I never got an allowance. Um, so I actually yeah, was not part of that subculture. <laughs> but I do fondly remember that now. Anyways, all this is to say that um, I think maybe as humans, we're always going to have places where we gather in our neighborhoods where uh, we have some cheap consumable goods and we can just, you know, um, shoot the shoot the dust or I don't know what you would say (laughs) Um, like just catch up with people Um, yeah and maybe that's something that still reminds us that we are human yeah and with lunchflation happening kimbap is probably the best choice right now if you're trying to save money yeah I, I do love myself a convenience store lunch it's the only one that's affordable right now in South Korea That's right. So before we sign off, you know, we'd really like to hear what's on your reading list for this fall. And please tweet us uh, your favorites or leave us a comment on Apple, Spotify or YouTube. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for this month's episode. And we hope to see you next time.
Bye, everyone.